the Truth and Reconciliation Report. We've talked about that before on the show. I released many years ago now, and very few of the recommendations in that report have actually been implemented. Some of them are pretty large undertakings, of course. Others aren't. And even if they are big ones, small steps have been taken in some specific instances, including just across the Alberta border and into Saskatchewan. This is going to be interesting. We're joined now by Dr. Danielle Tashiro Mamers, who is a... Uh, postdoctoral scholar at McMaster University, researching and teaching on settler colonialism, decolonization, and environmental politics. Doctor, thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So first of all, just tell us what's happening in Saskatchewan. It's a pretty interesting development. Just explain to our listeners what's going on. Uh, Yeah, so what happened was on February 19th of this year, uh, 20 bison were returned to Poundmaker Cree Nation, um, which is about an hour southeast of Lloyd Minister, Lloyd Minister, just between Lloyd and North Battleford. Okay. Um, and these bison were brought from Elk Island National Park yep. and uh, and returned to Indigenous territory. Uh, and so the herd is now under the care of Poundmaker Cree Nation. And this is the first time that bison have been on that territory. Uh, it's believed to be in more than 150 years. Wow. So it's a really exciting development for the community. Yeah, and there was a ceremony welcoming the herd. And I mean, uh, the, the, the importance of the bison to the indigenous culture can't be overstated, right? It is a key component. Correct. For Not just for um, Cree nations, but for all Plains nations. So the Cree nations in Treaty 6 territory, but also the... Blackfoot, Siksika nations um, south in Treaty 7 and crossing the border into the United States, as well as the Lakota, Dakota peoples um, in, uh, who are also in the United, what we call the United States today. And why were the bison um, so would, important? The bison were, from my understanding, I'd like to just clarify that I am not an Indigenous person. I am a white scholar and researcher who right. happens to study bison. Um but from my understanding, the bison were absolutely central to every aspect of life on the prairies. So often we think about the phrase um, using every part of the animal, and that was absolutely true. So bison uh, form were everything from food to um, hides being used to make shelters and clothing. Um, but more than that, bison have an incredibly important cultural, um, uh, cultural and sometimes political um, impact on Plains nations. So many songs, stories, and ceremonies are connected to bison, but also the formation of how social and cultural groups um, were able to come together in large, complex formations in the summer and then disperse in the winter. Those um, That kind of social organization was also developed in relation to um, bison. So many Indigenous people speak about bison as as the caretakers of their ancestors, and they mean that in a really literal way. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, and when we take a look at the history of the bison, I mean, it, I, I just want to ask you, because I know I'm going to get texts, I do every time we have this discussion. They're going to, of course. People say, well, that's why the residential schools were created. The bison were gone. That lifestyle couldn't exist anymore. They needed to change and they needed to adapt. Why were the bison gone? What happened there oh, and goodness. what was the status? Well, that is a um, a horrible misreading of Canadian history. Hear it all the time. Um, to be completely honest. So what happened in North America, there were up until uh, around the 18, the first decades of the 1800s, there were somewhere between th- around 30 million 
Bison in North America, that's a conservative estimate. And by the 1870s, there were a few hundred animals, mostly in Montana. Um, so I can't overstate the just radical speed with which bison um, were exterminated across the plains. Um, the, there's, multi- there's not one single cause for extermination. It's more of a, it was a confluence of things. Um, one is um, increased uh, economic demands on bison. So for the fur- when settlers arrived first as fur traders in Canada, um, that was the first time that bison were hunted as a commercial or commodity object. So hunted to be sold rather than um, for sustenance. Mm-hmm. And so they were hunted for um, dried meat that could be sold to, to people working in the fur trade. And then um, with shifts in leather tanning um, technology, um, bison um, hide, which had previously been too thick for industrial production, um, grew in significant demand. So that was used to make everything from boots to um, conveyor belts. Okay. Um, And so there was just this massive um, influx of demand, which led to more hunting, which also drew the lucrativeness of this economy drew... um, a lot more um, white hunters to the interior plains regions as well. The second half of that is that um, the Dominion of Canada, when they came to Alberta and Saskatchewan to negotiate Treaty 6 and Treaty 7, um, Blackfoot and Cree leaders asked, the, asked for the creation of treaties, right. and the Canadian government waited until the bison were largely extinct. So a couple, in the case of Treaty 6, it was a couple of years. Um, so that they knew that the Cree uh, leaders would be in um, in a weaker position. So the Canadian government purposely waited until people were starving to start the process of signing treaties. Gotcha. Okay, fair enough. Now, the Truth and Reconciliation Report, we talked about that at the beginning. Um, uh, reestablishing a connection between Canada's Indigenous peoples and the land is mentioned in there. And this is, you know... It's not a. It's not going to solve all the problems in that area, but this is obviously a big step forward to, towards reestablishing that, at least for this small part of the country, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to be clear, the the Truth and Re- Reconciliation Committee um, Commission didn't directly look into things like bison, bison, right? Yeah. Um, but one of the principles is that we can't have true reconciliation in Canada until there is also reconciliation with the land. So a recognition that in the violence that came with colonialism, um, many more beings were harmed than just Indigenous peoples. Um, relations, important relationships with animals were also disrupted, which caused massive shifts in, um, in cultural and social and economic activities. So with bison in the West, with salmon in the Northwest, with caribou further North. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... With the the thing that, um, to me as a researcher, um, that's really exciting about seeing these return, the reintroduction at Poundmaker, but also other reintroductions at Frog Lake First Nation and at Kainai First Nation in Alberta, is that there's been um, collaboration between Parks Canada and Indigenous leadership, so elders, but also Indigenous scientists from that community, from each community. And I think, um, I think that it's a really important, the history of conservation in Canada has also been a history of um, practicing colonialism in different ways. Um, and so 
the, this kind of collaborative move forward has a lot of promise. And a lot of that, I should mention for your listeners, is um, has been made possible through the hard work of the Buffalo Treaty, um, which was uh, signed in 2014. It's a treaty that um, has Indigenous signatories on both sides of the 49th parallel and uh, was created um, in part through the really wonderful work by Leroy Little Bear and Amethyst First Rider at... Um, uh, who are members of the Blood Reserve down in southern Alberta. Interesting stuff. Doc, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Uh, Dr. Danielle Tashiro-Mamers, Mamers, is a postdoctoral scholar at McMaster.